Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome the hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people that join us uh, across the country and around the world online every Sunday. And so we are so glad that you're joining us today as we study God's Word together. Now we're doing a series that we started actually a couple of weeks ago on the seven churches of Revelation. And this is going to take us through to the end of the summer, uh, right through the end of the summer, and then we'll start a new series as we get into the fall. And by the way, the three pastors, the three young pastors, when I was gone. Uh, let's put their picture. Didn't they do a tremendous job? Just an absolutely tremendous job. Uh, Josh Hoosman three weeks ago, and then uh, Pastor Eric uh, two Sundays ago, and then Philip Allen last Sunday. And man, I, I tell you, they, they're all under the age of 40. I, actually, Eric's kind of the baby in the group. Uh, he's more 30-ish, and the others are more 40-ish. But all, all three of them under the age of 40. And, and I tell you, I think they are three of the better preachers and some of the best leaders in America today. And just as an old guy, it gives me confidence to pass off the baton to the next generation. We've got some great young leaders coming along. And I think followers of Christ are just going to be fine in the years ahead as this new generation of, of Christ followers and millennials and Christ followers along, among that generation and their leaders are coming up and just, uh, just praise God. And then Pastor Eric, a couple couple weeks ago, he actually started with the book of Ephesus. And if we put a map up there of the seven churches of Revelation, this is ancient Turkey, but it's also modern day Turkey as well. And I never noticed this before, but the order that Jesus speaks to these churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is in like a clockwise order. So two Sundays ago when we started this, Pastor Eric did Ephesus. And then today we're going to talk about Smyrna, and then Pergamum, and then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, right on through to the end. And historians believe that these were actually postal centers, and that these were the, the postal centers of seven different regions, and so that's why the letters came there, the letter of Revelation came there so that it could spread from those postal centers, uh, these seven postal centers right throughout this region uh, to the churches within that region. And when Pastor Eric started with the church of Ephesus, uh, that, that's famous for the verse, you need to return to your first love. And I know I've done this a hundred times, but I need to keep reminding us that that verse really is the verse for Purpose Church. It really applies to the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but to us as well. Because if you're a church that's 148 years old and still pumping for Jesus, think of how many times generations of Christ followers in our church have had to return back to their first love again and again. Because vision leaks over time. A commitment leaks. Love fades uh, it, it fades away. Commitment fades. Vision leaks over time. And so Christian organizations and Christian schools and churches tend to fade in their commitment after one generation. So just think, after 148 years, how many times we have had to keep going back to the church of Ephesus. Return to your first love. Return to your first commitment. Refer, return to your first love again and again and again to still be pumping for Jesus 148 years later. It is absolutely a thrill. And by the grace of God, we will continue to do what Jesus challenged the church at Ephesus to do until he returns. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now, the other big picture thing that Eric talked about two weeks ago was introducing the book of Revelation. And basically, the book of Revelation has one message. Don't be confused by all the, the symbols and all the things going on there that people have different interpretations and we wrestle about. Here's the basic message. Jesus comes back and we win in the end. That's the basic message of the book of Revelation. 
Jesus comes back, comes from far back. Do you ever feel like in our culture, society, in our world, that, that it, it, we're, we're way behind? There's no way Jesus is going to stage a comeback. We are so far behind. We are losing so badly that there's just no way that Jesus can lead us all the way back to win in the end. And yet the book of Revelation promises us that someday Jesus comes back and we win in the end. Jesus comes back and we win in the end. Now there's some suffering that's going to happen between now and then. And that brings us to the suffering church under attack, the church at Smyrna. And this is not a comfortable subject. This is not something. How many of you wish you grew closest to God during days at Disneyland? How, how many? Some of you parents are saying, oh, Glenn, there can be suffering at Disneyland, you know. Five o'clock in the afternoon, 100-degree day. Oh, yeah, you can grow close to Jesus during those times. But in general, we don't grow. Like Jarrett had a great prayer. Oh my goodness, quoted C.S. Lewis, I believe it was, where he says that he, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He whispers to us in our successes, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is when we suffer that we draw close to him. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul, a man who suffered as much if not more than any other person in history, said, I wanted to know, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I'm like, I'm all in on that. Yeah, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It is in our suffering that we get to know Christ. It is in our suffering that we become like him uh, in his death. And the church at Smyrna is an example of the suffering church under attack. Let's pick it up with verse 8 of chapter 2. Uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. We're not sure, Bible scholars aren't sure, does this mean that every church has a guardian angel? That's kind of cool to think about, isn't it? That there's a guardian angel for the, each campus that we have here. One in Montana and Idaho and, and the Purpose School in Africa. And, and Claremont has a guardian angel. And we have one here at the Pomona campus. And I'm telling you, we keep our guardian angel busy around here. Yeah, we do. And that, that guardian angel is there to protect us so we can worship and serve God and share Christ in this place. It can mean a pastor. So it can mean to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, preach this message to this people of Smyrna. We're not sure. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. You know, you come here today and we all have certain problems. And we all have certain areas where we're suffering. I mean, suffering takes many forms. Uh, you, 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 can, you can suffer in a relationship with your child or your grandchild. Uh, people have chronic pain. There are people in our church family that wake up every day suffering with pain. There's, there's medical diagnoses. There's financial suffering. There's, there's suffering under racism or, or, or persecution of some form or, or put down of you as a follower of Christ where you work. And, and there, there's all kinds of suffering. But let me just encourage you in whatever you're suffering, and think of it right now, what is it in your life where, where you're experiencing suffering? God invited you here to tell you that the Christ that you followed is the first and the last. He has written the first chapter of your life story, and he'll write the last chapter as well. He has written the first chapter of the history of the world, and he will write the last chapter as well. That person that you can place your problems and your suffering into his hands this morning is the first and the last. The words of encouragement that you will hear in the next few minutes come from the one who is the first and the last. Gets even better. 
who died and came to life again. Is there anybody better to handle your problem and your suffering this morning than somebody who died and came back again? But that's the Jesus you follow. That's the one that you follow. Now, Smyrna was one of only two of the seven churches that had nothing but praise for them. Nothing but praise. The other five, uh, basically, uh, Jesus said, I have this that you're doing well. Here's a challenge of what you need to work on. And then he encourages them once again. I love reading my wife, Kimberly. I, I left my study Bible at the office, so I had to borrow hers at home. And I love it because then I get all the study notes, but in addition to the study notes, I get her study notes in the side. And she wrote in there that the pattern of the other five is Jesus praises them, then challenges them, then praises them once again. He encourages us, he challenges us, and then he encourages us once again. Now that's true of the other five. But there are two churches, the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, that have nothing but praise. Boy, wouldn't you love to be one of those churches? Wouldn't you love to get God's um, annual report on, on your life? You'd like to get God's uh, job review. And he says, you know, this is what you're doing right. And to be very frank, I can't think of anything. Uh, that, would be, that would be an awesome day. And Smyrna and Philadelphia, I mean, Philadelphia that we'll study in a few weeks, had nothing but praise for them. He says, you've got a great football team. You've got a cool bell, Liberty Bell. You've got an independence. I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible. But he had nothing but praise for Philadelphia. And the same was true for Smyrna as well. Now, the church at Smyrna pictures suffering Christians under intense pressures who need a message of assurance. It pictures suffering Christians under intense pressure who need a message of insurance. You know why you got out of bed this morning? I mean, let's face it, who wants to get up and drive in the heat? Uh, who, who wants to just like stay at home where, where, it's, where it's cool? You know, who wants to do that? You know why God led you to do that, especially if you're going through a time of suffering in your life this morning? He invited you here to hear the words he said to Smyrna 2,000 years ago. He invited you here because you're a follower of Christ who is under intense pressure who needs a message of assurance. This message to the people at Smyrna is for you. He invited you here to this place to hear this word. It also typifies a church that remains faithful to God despite difficult circumstances. I shared last month how we've got some exciting times ahead of us as a church and here in the city of Pomona. But in the past, there have been some tough times. There have been some difficult circumstances. But the church of Smyrna is the church for purpose church. It typifies a church that remains faithful to God in spite of of difficult circumstances. You kept coming here even when your car got broken into in the parking lot. You kept coming here even though maybe somebody hit you up for money um, while walking in. You kept coming here even though the newspaper, and it's highly irritating how they magnify anything wrong that goes on a Pomona and they minimize it everywhere else. I'm going to start a newspaper that magnifies it everywhere else and minimizes it in Pomona, I'll tell you. You, know, you, 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 you kept coming here Despite difficult circumstances, you drive here from other places or you live here and you remain faithful to God in spite of difficult circumstances. The message to the church at Smyrna is the message to Purpose Church and it's the message to you and your Christian life. Uh, Kimberly and I just love the words to a song by Natalie Grant. It's called More Than Anything. Here's the lyrics. I know if you wanted to change, I, I know if you wanted to, you could wave your hand and spare me heartache and change your plan. I know if you wanted to, 
you, God, could wave your hand, spare me this heartache, and change your plan. And I know any second you could take my pain away. But even if you don't, I pray. Help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the savior more than the saving. Help me want the giver more than the giving. Oh, help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. Nothing wrong with seeking a healing, but let's desire the healer most of all. Nothing wrong with seeking to be saved in an area of our lives, but let's seek the Savior most of all. Nothing wrong with asking God to give you an area of blessing and just say, oh God, would you give it to me? But just make sure we seek the giver, the Savior, the healer. Oh, help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. And suffering helps us get to know him, to partnership in his suffering. A Smyrna was a beautiful, wealthy, and large city. Uh, historians believe it was at least 200,000 people. Some historians believe it was up to half a million people, 500,000. It was the birthplace of the poet, the Greek poet Homer, and a center for science and medicine. It's the only city that has survived to today. The other six are no longer modern cities, but the modern Turkish city of Izmir is the Smyrna of antiquity, is the Izmir of today. He goes on with verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty. You say, I thought you said they were a wealthy city. Why would the Christians experience poverty? Well, because the first form that persecution takes, and you know there's been more persecution of Christ followers around the world, uh, not so much here, but in different places, South America, Latin America, uh, Africa, Asia, more persecution going on in the last 100 years than the previous 1,900 years combined. This is not just hap something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that's happening today. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are suffering today in the exact same way the church at Smyrna. Uh, suffered. And one of the first forms that persecution takes is economic uh, or educational persecution. That is, in many countries, and, and we actually have some people that are serving in those countries right here in our service right now, and I'm not going to mention the country because I'm not supposed to, but they're here. And maybe if you're a follower of Christ, you can only go so far educationally in that country. Or maybe if you're a follower of Christ, you're held down into certain jobs and you can't get the more prosperous jobs. You're, you're forced to have some of the more menial jobs. And that's the first form that persecution takes in many places around the world. And so he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. He says, you may be poor in your bank account, but in Jesus you're rich. And he wants to say the same thing to everybody in this room. How many of you feel poor in your bank? You know, don't raise your hand on that one, okay? Everybody's going to raise their hands. Always $1 more than we have, okay? How many wish you had more money in your bank account? Let me just see your hand. That's all of us. Okay, but he says, even if that's the case, remember that in Christ, you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, there were two groups of people who persecuted the followers of Christ in Smyrna. One were the Jewish people, but John is not being anti-Semitic here. I mean, he himself is Jewish. Uh, he was a Jew describing the actions of some fellow Jews against Jewish and Gentile Christians. And then the second group that was persecuting them is the Roman Empire. Uh, Smyrna was the center in the Roman Empire of emperor worship. Under the Roman emperor Domitian, Emperor worship became mandatory for every Roman citizen under penalty of death. There was the death penalty for not worshiping the Roman emperor. 
Uh, archaeologists have found certificates. I was reading one just a, a couple of days ago. And it's basically a certificate that does a request. I request that you say, because you saw me worshiping Caesar, and I need vow certification for that. And you can see that in the one archaeological piece. And then you get the answer back. We hereby certify that we saw you worshiping the Roman emperor, and so you are hereby uh, free from any negative effects of not worshiping the emperor. And it was a very simple thing. All you had to do is burn a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And it would have been so easy to rationalize that. Oh, come on, just for a moment, just a pinch of incense, Caesar is Lord, and then I'm protected from all these problems. And yet most of the followers of Christ in the church of Smyrna refused to do that because Jesus was their Lord. And so they refused to do it. Now put them in a dilemma because the Jewish people had a special exemption from the Roman Empire for not worshiping the emperor. But Christians got kicked out of the synagogues for worshiping Jesus, and they also refused to worship Caesar, so they were horribly persecuted. Uh, There was a pastor uh, of the church in Smyrna 60 years later. He was only 26 when this was written, but now he's about 86 years old by the name of Polycarp. And uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is an old book that kind of chronicles the persecution of Christians through the year, it writes about the death of Polycarp, who was the pastor of the church of Smyrna, and he refused to worship Caesar because he would only worship Jesus. Polycarp, who was a student of the Apostle John and the overseer of the church in Smyrna, heard that soldiers were looking for him and tried to escape but was discovered by a child. After feeding the guards who captured him, he asked for an hour in prayer, which they gave him. He prayed with such fervency that his guards said they were sorry that they were the ones who captured him. Nevertheless, he was taken before the governor and condemned to be burned in the marketplace. After his sentence was given, the governor said to him, Reproach Christ and I will release you. And this is one of the most famous lines in all of church history. Polycarp answered, 86 years I have served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Boy, you can say that, can't you? Uh, Put the number of years in there. Don't say it out loud. I'll do it. You don't have to. 61 years I have served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? In the marketplace, he was tied to the stake rather than nailed, as was the usual custom, because he assured them he would stand unmovable in the flames and not fight them. As the dry sticks placed around him were lit, the flames rose up and circled his body without touching him. The executioner was then ordered to pierce him with a sword. When he did, a great quantity of blood gushed out and put out the fire. Although his Christian friends asked to be given his body as it was so that they could bury him, the enemies of the gospel insisted that it be burned in the fire, which was done. Um, He continues, Jesus continues with this word of encouragement because he knew these things were coming to the church of Smyrna. He says in verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, we don't know of a literal 10-day period that this took place, but it's probably a Semitic um, uh, axiom from that time period uh, that meant a a limited duration. You will suffer for a while, but then the suffering will be over. Kind of like a Semitic uh, Jewish idiom for 10 days, a, a short, limited period of time. You'll suffer for a while, then it'll be done. 
Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Jesus says, this is the death we ought to worry about. He says, don't worry about the first death. He says, that's going to be over and and done with, and you've got eternity in front of you. He says, be worried about the second death. Uh, Make sure that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Even as I'm preaching right now, just in the silence of your heart, you can just say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. By your suffering and your death on the cross and your resurrection, I claim victory over the second death. You can just pray something like that in your heart right now, even as, as I continue to preach. But Jesus said, you're not going to be hurt by the second death. If you have Christ in your life, uh, you will go through the the first death. I mean, the death rate in America is still one in one. It's still like 100%, unless Christ comes back before that. We're all going to experience the first death. But the thing you worry about is that in Christ, you can't be hurt by the second death. And then to make it your life's passion to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence, uh, your, your whole passion, your energy, your serving, your praying, your giving, all of it should go towards going to heaven so that we are not hurt by the second death and to make sure that everybody in our sphere of influence, everybody we have influence with is also not hurt by the second death. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's what we're called. That's why our church's purpose statement <coughs> is everyone everywhere following Jesus. Everyone everywhere following Jesus so that they are not hurt by, by uh, the, the, the second death. And that's what our passion should be. Now let's hear what James has to say about it. He was stoned to death uh, for following Jesus. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice, back to verse 2, I'm sorry, back to verse 2. Notice he doesn't say if you face trials. He says whenever. There ain't no if, it's a whenever. It's going to happen. And in the original Greek, this word translated here, many kinds, is poikolos, from which we get our word polka dotted. He says your life will be polka dotted with trouble. Anybody want to say amen to that? All different shapes and sizes, polka dots all over the place. All different shapes and sizes. You will face trials that your life will be polka dotted with trouble. Verse 3, here's the good news though. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The Greek word translated perseverance is hypomen, which means to stand firm in the middle of a storm. To stand firm in the middle of a storm will produce and grow your faith and you'll be close to Jesus as you participate in his sufferings, if you persevere. Uh, Thursday, um, our last couple of weeks, our grandchildren have been staying with us from Seattle and they bring these caretakers with them called parents, but that's not really important. Uh, they, they bring the grandchildren. I'm just kidding. I'm just We love our children and our grandchildren. But my son-in-law, Thursday, um, my daughter, Leah, she says, you know, once, once a month, I give him a day to go skateboarding, and that's how he kind of how he decompresses and everything like that. So I just imagine him, you know, getting up and taking an air-conditioned car to a few skate parks around the area and doing some stunts with skateboarding and then, then coming on home. Well, I get up in the morning. He'd already left at 5 or 6 in the morning. And he didn't take a car with him. And I said to Kira, I said to Leah, like, like, what's up with that? What do you mean he's going skateboarding? She goes, oh, he's skateboarding to Santa Monica. 
literally. I mean, and, and the path he took was 57 miles long, and then he took a train back. And when I picked him up at the train station, he looked like he had been skateboarding for 57 miles. <laughs> he was dirty. He was tired. We go to Del Taco, and he's not a big eater, but he ordered like five meals, you know. And, 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 and he, this is the way he decompresses over time, 57 miles of, of skateboarding. Uh, Pastor Randy uh, loves, he's a bicyclist. And, and so his Super Bowl, his World Series, is the Tour de France. So he's been watching the Tour de France every day. And he says, Glenn, you know, I'd never heard this word by a sportscaster. When the guys were climbing up a mountain, he said, these guys are suffering. He said, I hadn't heard that word applied in, in, in sports. They are suffering. But you see, they didn't run from the suffering. We don't try to suffer. We don't want to suffer. But when it's inevitable, we embrace the suffering. Why do these bicyclists embrace the suffering of the Tour de France? Because they want to get to the victory stand, see? And that's the same thing for us, is that we embrace the suffering because it gets us to the victory stand. That's one point I want to make before we begin to wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, you can read these other scriptures that are there in front of you. But you've got, a, you've got a chart in there about the five crowns for believers. And sometimes we think, oh, we shouldn't be looking for a reward. We should just follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. That, that, that's, why we should, that's why we should follow Jesus. Well, yes, yeah, yes, that is true. But when the going gets tough, it's good to have some motivation of wanting, let's go back to the victor stand right there. It's good to think of the victor stand. It's okay. Sometimes we have mixed motives, all right? It's that way in your job. How many of you do certain parts of your job, you would do it for free? Anybody have those? Okay, yeah, I have a big portion of my job. I don't want to admit this in front of you guys, but there's a big portion of my job I would do for free. How many of you have parts of your job that you need to get paid in order to do it, all right? That's why they call it a job. That's why they would get paid for it, all right? And it's okay in the Christian life to have a certain mixture of motives. That yes, I follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do, but I also follow him because I want to get there and experience that. And that will carry you through some hard times. Uh, I remember a sermon that one of our former uh, high school pastors, Chris Brown, did called Chicks and Bucks. And, and it's in the middle, just two, three verses in the middle of the David and Goliath story. It says in, in 1 Samuel 17, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man, it's talking about Goliath, keeps coming out. He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. Chicks and bucks. So this young man, David, comes along. Verse 26, David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now, these are high motives. I want to kill Goliath because I need to remove the disgrace from Israel and bring glory to God. High motives. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27. But then they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Money, beautiful daughter of the king, tax-exempt status for you and your family. And you get to bring glory to God. And you get to um, remove the disgrace from Israel. It's a mixture of motives. It's all these wonderful things, and it's chicks and bucks, okay? 
And that's okay in the Christian life. It's okay to say, I want to bring glory to God. I want to do the right thing. I want to live in the right way. But I also want to stand on the victor stand. Let's go back to that. I also want to stand there one day with chicks and bucks. Okay, right, right there. Right, right. I, I, I also want that. Okay. I also want that glory. And so read these five crowns of the believers. Let's make that a little assignment this afternoon uh, to study those and to say the, these are the motivations for following him. I just want to close with one illustration. Romans 8, verse 18. Paul, who was beheaded, had his head cut off for following Jesus. Romans 8, verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings, and he suffered a lot. I mean, I would maintain as much, if not more, than any other person that ever lived. But he also got to visit heaven. So he's in a perfect position to see the worst of this life and the best of heaven. And here's what he says. These present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I've done this many times before, but I love this illustration. Uh, stole it from Francis Chan. Uh, this little part at the end of the rope, this represents our lives. And really, it should just be a tiny tip of the tip of the tip, maybe like a molecule on the end of this. That represents this life. And this line that Tina just stretched out for us, this is eternity. And here's what Paul, Paul got to see this, and he got to experience the worst of this. And here's what he said. I consider that our present sufferings, what are we going through today? Here's what God wanted to say to you about what you're going through today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory for eternity that will be revealed in us. At the end of the book of Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus comes back at the end. And along with him, we win. Here's what he promised us in the meantime. John uh, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Anybody want to say amen to that? But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's repeat just that bold part out loud together. But take heart. I have overcome the world. One more time, as loud as you can. But take heart, I have overcome the world.